Welcome to Akoben, a war horn, with Junius Ricardo Stanton. Akoben is an Andinka word and symbol of the Akan people who reside in Ghana, West Africa. It is a specially carved animal's horn that makes a distinct and unique sound. Traditional villagers sound the Akoben to encourage the villagers to be alert, to be ready for assembly and in extreme cases mobilization. We sound the Akoben to alert you to current events, introduce you to interesting people and exciting and intriguing ideas. So stay tuned and we'll be right back after this message and a meditative moment. Greetings to the Internet Radio family. This is Reverend Valentine speaking. You know, for nearly 30 years, I have had the distinct experience of being interviewed over every medium of communication available to the public. And except for the metaphysical underground, I can think of no other electronic venue that has been more progressive, more innovative, more insightful, more diligent, more diverse in its demographics, and more courageously supportive of the truth than this ever-growing phenomenon called Internet Radio. And this is precisely why I'm here to tell you that it is so vital that you give your wholehearted support to it. Tell a friend. In fact, tell two, three, and four of your friends. If you are a business owner, support Internet Radio by telling your customers and constituents all about it. Let them know that there is a legitimate and important substitute to all of the prefabricated, super-censored garbage polluting our public airways today. Don't allow the mass media to continue to treat you like a mindless consumer drone. Enhance your awareness. Indulge your critical thinking, your reasoning, and your analysis. Do as I do. Log on, listen in, and then let it be known all about your internet radio experience. Chimatep, beloved family, thank you for listening. Walk in light. Welcome to our mystical meditative moment where we take time to slow down, focus, do some introspection, calm our minds, and to tap into that greater portion of ourselves, the great I am that I am. It will allow you to calm your mind, lower and regulate your blood pressure, and give you peace, serenity, and tranquility. Sit back, relax, begin to breathe deeply. Let your abdomen expand as you inhale. Hold it, breathe out slowly, let your abdomen contract. Again, breathe in deeply, 
Let your mind wander. Exhale. Focus on your breathing. Inhale. Focus on your breathing. Do not focus on any particular thought or feeling that you might be experiencing. Focus on your breathing. Exhale. Inhale. Focus on your breathing. Do not allow your thoughts to capture your attention. Exhale. Let your shoulders relax and droop. Feel a sense of relaxation from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. Inhale. Exhale. Focus on your breathing. Relax. 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 Exhale. Inhale. Focus on the calm of your mind. Focus on the peace. There is no agitation, just calm, tranquility, and peace. Continue to inhale and exhale. Relax, relax. Count to 10 and you will come back to the present where you will be mindful of your relaxation, your calm, and your peace. Inhale. Exhale. One, two, three, four, five. Inhale, six, seven, eight, nine. Exhale, ten. Relax, open your eyes, and be prepared to enjoy your day. Fully energized, tranquil, and in a mindful state. Peace. Listening to Akuban, a call to awareness, a call to alertness, a call to action, and a call to war, with Junius Ricardo Stanton. As we close out Women's History Month 2022, we're going to share brief biographies of three black women who are trailblazers and who made a major impact on their time, their community, and their world. The first is Charlotte Fortin Grimke. 
As we celebrate Women's History Month, there are countless black women we are unaware of whose contributions to society, the country, and to the world need to be shared on a wider level. One such woman is Charlotte Fortin Grimke. Charlotte Louise Fortin was born in Philadelphia on August 17, 1837 into a, an extremely wealthy African-American family. Charlotte Fortin's grandfather and parents amassed their fortune as sailmakers and business owners in Philadelphia. Charlotte's mother died when she was three years old from tuberculosis and she, she was raised by her father with the help of her aunts and grandparents. The Fortin family was prominent in the anti-enslavement movement. Charlotte Fortin was educated at an early age by tutors because of racial apartheid in the schools in Philadelphia and her father didn't want her attending segregated schools. When Charlotte became an adolescent, her father, James Fortin, sent her to Salem, Massachusetts to board with the Charles Lennox Redman family. The Redmans were another prominent African-American abolitionist family. There she attended the integrated schools in Salem. Early in her childhood, Charlotte began keeping diaries and she continued writing for the rest of her life. Following completion of her studies at the Higginson Grammar School for Girls, where she was the only black student, Charlotte enrolled in a normal school which trained students to become teachers. Ms. Fortin graduated from what would later become Salem State University. She was hired as a teacher in the Salem school system where she may have been the first black teacher in America to teach white students. Ms. Fortin grew up surrounded by abolitionists and anti-slavery activists all her life. When she heard of an opportunity to teach enslaved blacks living in the Sea Islands of South Carolina who had been, quote, liberated, unquote, by the advancing Union Army, she went to St. Helena Island in 1862 to teach. In 1864, she contracted smallpox and returned to Philadelphia when she learned her father had died. Over the years, Charlotte experienced several bouts with pneumonia, which impacted her health and ability to work. In Philadelphia, she wrote about her experiences and Several were published in a white mainstream magazine of the time. She returned to South Carolina to teach in several schools created specifically to educate newly freed blacks. Later, she migrated to Washington, D.C. to teach, serve as a principal, and subsequently work as a clerk at the U.S. Department of Treasury. In the late 1870s, while still in Washington, D.C., she joined the 15th Street Presbyterian Church, where she met the man she would eventually marry, Francis Grimke, a young minister at the church. Francis J. Grimke was born on November 4, 1890, the son of Henry Grimke, a white man who had raped his enslaved mother, Nancy Weston. Henry Grimke was an attorney and plantation owner whose wife died. Nancy Weston was his slave who served as a nurse and nanny for his children. Weston had two sons by Henry Grimke. Ironically, Henry Grimke's sisters, Sarah and Angelina Grimke, were prominent in the abolitionist movement, but they were unaware of Francis and his brother's existence. Both were enslaved, and Francis and his older brother, Archibald, were subsequently sold 
by their half-white brother after their father died. Francis and Archibald had been taught to read by their father. After the war, they eventually came to the attention of their aunts, who recognized and accepted them as family. The Grimke sisters helped further the education of their two nephews, both graduated from Lincoln University. Archibald went to Harvard Law School, and Francis attended Princeton Theological Seminary. Francis was ordained as a Presbyterian minister. In 1885, following their marriage, Charlotte and Francis, who was 15 years younger than Charlotte, moved to Florida where the Reverend Grimke became senior minister at a church in Jacksonville. They remained there for four years. The couple returned to Washington, D.C. in 1889 where Reverend Grimke became the pastor of the 15th Street Presbyterian Church. Reverend Grimke was active in civil rights and was a co-founder of the Niagara Movement and the NAACP. Charlotte supported her husband. She continued to write and engage in activism, advocating for women's suffrage and other rights and privileges. Her writings included poetry and essays denouncing violence and injustice. And in 1896, Charlotte Fortin Grimke was a founding member of the National Association for Colored Women. Mrs. Grimke's health began to decline, and by 1909, she was forced to retire from active travel. She suffered a stroke in 1913 and was bedridden. She made transition on July 23, 1914. She was interred in Washington, D.C. Her diary entries entitled The Journal of Charlotte Fortin Grimke were published posthumously. Charlotte Fortin Grimke is a role model for us today because of her lifetime commitment to human rights, service to others, education, and activism. Our second person of interest for Women's History Month is Ella Josephine Baker. Quote, there would not have been an SNCC, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, also known as SNCC, without Ella Baker. While serving as Executive Secretary for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the SCLC, she organized the founding conference of SNCC, held at Shaw University in Raleigh, North Carolina, during the Easter weekend of 1960. Unquote. HTTPS colon four slash four slash sncdigital.org forward slash people Ella Baker. When we think of the U.S. Civil Rights Movement and the modern struggle for justice and freedom, we rarely think of women outside of Rosa Parks, of course. However, truth be told, there were numerous women who actually led facets of the movement. One such woman was Ella Josephine Baker. Ella Baker was born in Norfolk, Virginia on December 13, 1903, but was raised in Littleton, North Carolina, where she was close to her maternal grandmother, who told her stories about her experiences and treatment as an enslaved person. Her grandmother's experiences in Ella's own life in the early 1900s stoked a desire for justice and a determination to right the wrongs she saw all about her. Ella Baker was a bright young woman. She attended and graduated from Shaw University in North Carolina as her class valedictorian in 1927. While at Shaw, she became an activist and challenged some of the school's policies she regarded as unfair. After graduation, she moved to New York City and became active in local activism there. She joined the Young Negroes Cooperative League, an organization that pushed for economic development using a collectivist approach. 
She joined the NAACP in 1940 and was extremely active for several years as a field secretary and head of several branches. Her responsibilities required her to travel extensively, raise funds, and recruit new members. Ms. Baker was also successful. She became the NAACP's director of branches in 1943. She was forced to take a leave to take care of her niece in 1946, but resumed her work in the struggle in the 1950s. She subsequently became the director of the New York chapter of the NAACP in 1952. In 1957, Miss Baker moved to Atlanta, Georgia, and was instrumental in helping Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. organize a Southern Christian Leadership Conference, and she managed a voting rights organization called the Crusade for Citizenship. When the college students from North Carolina A&T started the sit-in movement to desegregate lunch counters at the downtown Woolworth store, she became intrigued about the idea of young people playing a pivotal role in the desegregation and civil rights movement. She left the SCLC and returned to North Carolina where she met with student leaders from Shaw University. She urged Martin Luther King Jr. to support the student conference and he donated $800 to it. It was the genesis of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC. While Dr. King hoped the students would be an arm or auxiliary of SCLC, Ms. Baker encouraged them to form their own organization and advised them to think beyond desegregating lunch counters. It was Ella Baker who exhorted them to work towards voting rights and political inclusion. She was one of the driving forces behind the Freedom Rides and the formation of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party in 1964. Ella Baker believed in people power, grassroots empowerment from the ground up. The Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party challenged the seating of the regular Mississippi delegates at the 1964 Democratic Party convention, charging they were not representative of the state's demographic and that they had excluded African Americans from participation. When the Credentials Committee pressed the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party delegates to compromise and be seated as token non-voting delegates, they refused. Miss Baker was affectionately called Fundi by the SNCC members she taught organizing. It's a Swahili word that means a teacher of the next generation. Most women took a back seat to the men in the civil rights movement. But Ella Baker was the backbone of the movement as a grassroots organizer, leader, strategist, and role model. Ella Baker made transition on her natal day, December 13, 1986, in New York City. We owe a great debt of gratitude to Ella Josephine Baker. And as we close out today's podcast, we want to share the story of Mae Jamison. Mae Jamison was the first sister in space, but she wasn't a publicity stunt or merely a ride-along. When she was accepted into the NASA space program, Mae Carol Jamison was already a chemical engineer. She entered Stanford University on an academic scholarship when she was only 16 years old, graduating in 1977, and she was a physician who completed her doctoral medical degree at Cornell University in 1981. When she graduated, she earned degrees in chemical engineering and African-American studies. May was interested 
in a myriad of subjects and occupation when she was young. Her family moved from Decatur, Alabama, where she was born, to Chicago, Illinois, where she attended public schools. Mae Jamison was always interested in science, and her parents supported her in that quest. She graduated from high school when she was 16 years old and was accepted into Stanford University in California. At Stanford, Miss Jamison was often the only black person in her classes, and she experienced a fair amount of racial antagonism. She graduated from Stanford with degrees in chemical engineering and African-American studies. When she was young, she watched the Star Trek television program and became fascinated by the character of L Lieutenant Uhura, played by Michelle Nichols. So Mae Jamison added being an astronaut to a long list of things she wanted to do. Long before she went into space, Ms. Jamison traveled extensively, studying in Cuba and Cambodia while she was in medical school. After graduating from medical school, she volunteered for the Peace Corps in 1983 and spent two years as a medical officer in Africa. When NASA opened its doors to females and a woman astronaut, Sally Ride, actually flew a mission, Jamison applied, but the agency closed the program to new recruits after the space shuttle Challenger exploded in 1986. Undeterred, Jamison reapplied in 1987 and was one of 15 applicants chosen out of 2,000 aspirants who applied. She trained in Florida at the NASA at the Kennedy Center and worked at the Shuttle Avionics Integration Laboratory as an engineer to process the shuttle fleet for launch and certify shuttle software. Dr. Jamison was involved in a joint NASA project with Japan conducting experiments on materials testing and processing and life sciences. On September 12, 1992, Dr. May Jamison was part of the Endeavour seven-person shuttle crew that spent a week in orbit. Dr. Jamison became the first African-American woman to launch into space and orbit the Earth. The shuttle performed 127 orbits, conducting numerous tests and experiments. When she left NASA in 1993, Dr. Jamison blended her experiences as a student volunteer, a Peace Corps physician, general practitioner, and an astronaut to create programs to promote social change, science and technology by starting a space camp for students aged 12 to 16 and a nonprofit named the Dorothy Jamison Foundation for Excellence promote academic achievement, technology, and science. Currently, Dr. Jamison is a, a professor and an international marketing and technology consultant. She is also the author of several books for children. May Carol Jamison is a role model for excellence, perseverance, and pride. And as we celebrate women's history, we need to be mindful that many sisters have made fabulous contributions. And only the patriarchal and misogynist culture denigrates them and keeps them from getting their due recognition. So we must be mindful of being inclusive and appreciative of all the contributions of those fellow travelers on this green blue ball we call planet earth and the more we become appreciative of our contributions others con contributions the more friendly and the more amicable and the more cooperative our relationships will be because we are recognizing and rewarding the accomplishments of our fellows here on this planet and we're hoping that this will encourage 
friendship, brotherhood, and a means to live in harmony and peace. And this is not being idealistic or naive, it's being practical. Because as we look around the world today, we see a myriad of wars and conflicts going on. It's just not in Ukraine. It's all over the planet. Yemen, uh, they just settled, had a ceasefire in Ethiopia, and there are other skirmishes going on in the continent of Africa. And we need to be aware of that and meditate and pray for peace because we cannot afford to allow the warmongers and war profiteers to continue to wreak havoc and devastation on the planet. And with that, we encourage you to engage in mental decolonization. Free your mind. The rest will follow. This is Junius Ricardo Stanton wishing each and every one of you love, peace, health, prosperity, wisdom, power, but most of all, courage. The courage to find meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in your life so that you evolve into all that the Creator intends for you to be. And your life manifests magnificently in partnership with the Creator to make a fabulous contribution to the collective. Till next time, be well and stay strong. Peace.